Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We have Paul Smith, who is the Chief Audit Executive at Reinsurance Group of America. They're one of the largest global life and health reinsurance companies. They are also ranking as of 2022 at number 222 on the Fortune 500 list. You ever talk to some of those people and like immediately know, yeah, you're good, you know, or a lot of times I'll tell people on the show or, or otherwise, it takes like five minutes to talk to somebody before I think to myself, I would work for you if I was if I was looking. Uh, with that said, Paul is looking to bring some people onto his team. So especially after listening to him, if you're interested, go check out the career section on the website. Uh, maybe even just shoot Paul a message on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Paul D. Smith. Probably a lot of Paul Smiths out there. So just to make it a little easier to find him. Anyway, a couple of things that we talk about on the show. A uh, question we've been asking a lot of audit leaders recently is what's the number one issue they've been talking to with their CAE peers about uh, as an audit leader? What does Paul care about? Uh, another way to think about that is if you want to become an audit leader one day, maybe you should consider this thing that Paul cares about. Uh, what question should the audit committee chair be asking audit leadership uh, as another way to think about that? If you are an audit leader right now, might be good to have a an answer prepared for this question um, that Paul mentions. That way, if your audit committee does come to you with it, you already got knocked out. Uh, similarly, we talk about what question audit leadership should be asking their staff. So kind of similar there with the audit committee and audit leadership. And then lastly, we talk about the biggest problem that Paul sees internal audit facing right now and how it can be fixed. Here we go. This is one I've been asking recently just because I feel like part of the reason to like and giving back to the folks that are listening is like, I know when I go to trainings, I want to hear like, okay, what can I actually do? What's an actual tip I can apply? So with that said, Paul, uh, what's an audit tip that you could pass along to the listeners? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is how do we optimize audit value? And I think about being at the right time, at the right place, at the right depth. And to do that, it requires not just performing the historical full scope audit. So one of the things that I would propose is audit functions define what are your core client services mm -hmm. um, and have that be something that you promote as part of your brand, um, your full scope audit. So what's encompassed in the audit? What's the form of the report? What are some examples? You know, targeted scope audits, consulting work. 
um, and share that with your leaders because what will, will happen is it will create uh, an open conversation for where there might be opportunities for you to be involved and they'll seek you out instead of you always asking the question, well, what can I do to help yeah. you? Um, the other thing it does is it really, if, you, if you're in a company that has assurance coming from multiple places, like you have compliance reports, you've got risk control self-assessments, you got your risk management function issuing reports, you can align their reports, the scope and, and, and substance behind those reports is also examples. That, so you can almost set like an assurance mapping across the entire organization. And what it does is it avoids confusion from your executive stakeholders. So they know the difference between what was done behind a full scope audit versus what was done across an RCSA or a compliance audit. So internal audit can actually lead kind of the overall assurance and how it, it's being reported and managed across the company. And at the same time, you're promoting your own ability to do it. And I know for us, it's at the point now where we're getting asked to be involved in projects, do, do more pre-implementation reviews. I mean, even to the extent where we need to do a certain amount of core audits and, and we've got a running list of things. We have actually have more than we can even do. Yeah. Um, now, now the question is, is are these important enough for us to, to add resources? And that's kind of a conversation we're having now. Yeah. And that's all evolved in the last couple of years, but it all started with being a little bit more proactive on the services audit can provide and, uh, and having those conversations with key leaders. So kind of a large education about this is what audit is and what we do um, as part of that. I, I really like the assurance mapping and that's something we've worked with folks on. And usually the benefit that we talk about there is we're not duplicating efforts. We're not over auditing. Um, but I think what, to your point, it shows um, the stakeholders, like the, it lessens the confusion when you have various risk folks looking at the same area and going, well, this is what we looked at and this. And so I think the mapping part of that is, is, um, is really great. I like that one a lot. All right. What is amongst the, your, your chief audit executive peers, what is maybe the number one issue that you're all kind of trying to figure out or, or fix? Yeah. Well, certainly cybersecurity, ESG, data analytics are, are very common topics, but resourcing is probably the biggest yeah. one. You know, introducing the concept of stay interviews, you know, how are we developing our auditors for the future in the sense of how are we designing the work so as to be commensurate with the skills and how they want to do the work mm -hmm. in the future. Um, and that's that's easier said than done. You know, in many respects, you know, audit is is lagging a little bit in terms of really implementing technology, yeah. really being as as plugged in to to enhancements as they could. But but yeah, staffing is a, is a big deal for us. You know, if if it wasn't important before, I'm just looking at the vacancy rates for you know replacing some of my people in various markets, um, and it's highly competitive. Mm -hmm. um, so what what it is your managers are doing to talk about development how engaged your staff are, where are the development opportunities, where are you driving decision-making, where are you empowering, where are you motivating them to, to, to work hard, but also drive their career with you as opposed to other places. I'm also having conversations. Now, my group doesn't really implore a, a rotational program. And we have a lot of experts in the company and we like to keep the experts where they are. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but if there's ever a time and I'm doing it now is start to talk about rotations and, and where people can come into audit, where people can leave audit and, and manage that a little bit more proactively than we've done in the past. I mean, I know a lot of large companies do that. And, and 
I actually was involved in a program like that earlier in my career, and I see a lot of merits to it. Uh, and I look at that as just another mechanism that can increase the fungibility, I think, with my auditors and, and keep them not just within my function, but keep them in the company. Yeah. You know, insurance is a very sophisticated business, and there's a lot of information that you lose and have to replace um, when people leave. And, and that's just something that, um, that in particular, I'm very focused on. Yeah, as as the leader of the group, and you have a, a, a fairly large team relative to the average audit department size, what's the message like you're pushing down to your folks, uh, like your senior managers, your managers, who the ones that have like the the day to day constant contact with the staff and senior level auditors? What's the like the message you're pushing down relative to that issue of retention? Like, what 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 can we do to make sure these folks are developing and and staying? Um, happy more or less. Yeah, well, certainly development conversations are key. I mean, and not and not just substance, like high level, you know, brush the surface type conversations. Like really getting into, you know, what are your career aspirations? Right? Do you want to be a CFO? Do you want yeah. to be a chief auditor? Do you want to be a subject matter expert in audit? Um, is there somebody else somewhere else in the company that you're interested in exploring? And and just having real discussions that that get to the heart of what motivates each of our employees, our staff, because they're all different. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and if you don't really ask the question, then you're just making assumptions that you've got it figured out. And all the while, you know, how are you supporting them? I mean, the other thing is is having development be a conscious effort. You know, making making a point to put your employees, your staff, in front of certain executives with an agenda item, preparing them for that having conversations around where they are and what decisions you're going to be delegating to them. And decision-making is a tricky one, right? You don't want to just have them own decisions without any repercussions, without any oversight. So you have to set the guardrails, but you know, where am I expecting you to make a decision? And then I'm inevitably going to make it, but I want to hear what you would make first and then explain your rationale. You start with yeah. that, then you start actually delegating them making decisions, and then they inform you. You know, so there's a way to do this where um, I, I think, in many respects, at least some of some of my leaders, you know, I don't feel they they feel they have the the ability to push some of that down as much as they can, and it just creates inefficiency. And all the while, I think the employees may not feel as empowered as they could otherwise. So we're definitely trying to drive decision-making, drive an understanding of what each person's development goals are and making sure that we're tailoring that to each person uh, and spending the time to do so. Um, And in the stay interviews is acknowledging what it is that they like about your company and how are you going to continue to promote that and maybe promote it to others um, who, who aren't getting the same experiences or aren't seeing things the way that they are. Um, so all of that, I think, has has led to some pretty good. Our attrition rates have been pretty good, nice. um, which which is excellent. But I would see I see that as being an area that we just got to continue to focus on. The the motivation piece and how it's different for everyone is interesting because I mean, obviously, you know, here have some more money. Like, yeah, sure, that's you know that's motivating enough. But I know, like, when I was in internal audit and doing analytics, one of the things that I just wanted, I was like, I, I you know I'd like this uh, RPA tool. You know, that's something that would motivate me to stay in it uh, even more, as well as like would be really nice is if I could have access to this data. And so if I, you know, just having um, audit leadership kind of clear those roadblocks for me to be able to get the access that I wanted, like that's what I really wanted to do was just like go deep in on writing analytics and developing these scripts 
and doing all that. And so that's something that if you don't ask that question of, you know, really like effectively, like, what do you want? Um, that's something that costs nothing, you know? <laughs> like monetarily doesn't cost anything to uh, clear these roadblocks to get access to data. Um, and so I think that is a, an important question. The question I, I like to ask folks when it comes to motivation is to be very blunt. And it's just, what do you want? And a lot of times you'll sit there and they'll go, that's a really good question. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause you kind of have to think about what it is you really want. Yeah. Um, interesting trend. What came out of this is there was a sense that, and the only way to grow in the department was to become a manager of people, mm -hmm. which is not really what I ever thought. And our org structure kind of supported that. So what we've done is we've, we've built a path where people can become subject matter experts, what we call project managers, where they can be career auditors, but grow in their expertise in an area and a business with certain tools. Um, and we built a structure where now there's growth potential without necessarily needing for an audit manager position to be open for yeah. them to grow. Yeah almost to a level where they're commensurate um, um, in, in, in compensation with some of the early audit managers. So there is an opportunity to grow if you don't wanna be a manager of people, but you like audit, you like doing the technical work, there's clearly a, a role here for you. Yeah. Um, and, but it's important to know that, you know, yeah. that's what's motivational, maybe not too dissimilar from what you just described before or motivational factors for you. I mean, I would definitely wanna know that and then have a structure uh, in order to support that, which yeah. I think we have now. That's great. Um, and you might've kind of hit on this already, but as an audit leader, what do you, like, what do you care about? Uh, and I asked that to get for those that aren't, uh, chief audit executives to give them some level of insight as far as like, okay, if I become a chief audit, maybe I sh this is what I should care about more so than maybe I'm not thinking about right now. So just yeah. almost like your perspective as a, a CAE, what do you care about now? Yeah. Well, one of my uh, one of my colleagues made a comment to me once that um, executive attention is a scarce resource, mm. and I think that's a true fact. I mean, there's information overload, and where I'm most focused on is insight, not information. Yeah, you know, and that's insight through doing data analytics to understand where the company has control strength based on information that's already available, but where do we provide insight that others are not. Right. And that's really, I think, the thing that I really try to drive home um, as we identify findings. What what of this is systemic? Do we understand root cause? Um, how are we looking at the business and where there could be risk in the future? Um, and then how are we getting ahead of the curve to look at it ahead of time to protect the company? And, and so it's much less about compliance auditing and much more about understanding the nature of the business, how it's evolving, where controls, where, where risk is emerging, and how do we know enough to know to be at the right place at the right time at the right depth? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is what it's all about. And, uh, and it's not easy, right? That requires a lot of critical thinking and analysis mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that. But I, I, I do see that as probably being where our greatest value is. Okay. And I feel like the audit committee if, uh, for this um, follow-up question, I feel like if you came to them with just insights, there we go, this is great and fantastic. You're doing a wonderful job. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We wanna say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. 
Audit Board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Um, but what what question do you feel like the audit committee should be asking audit, audit leadership? Yeah, and I, I the question that I've been asked, but I would expect to be probably something that would be probed even more so, is where is the coordination and alignment between my function and the risk management function? Okay. You think of risk tolerance and risk appetite, and you think about the reporting of residual risk from risk management and our understanding of what level of control we're auditing to and the associated risks. I mean, so how, how well coordinated is that and is, is that understood as we do our audits, as risk management is reporting things. And, you know, I think I've done a lot in, in our organization. We have a, a strategic project to increase the alignment of our group and risk management. So this is an ongoing area of emphasis. But I, I see this as being something that um, there's a lot of reporting that goes to the board. And I'm not so sure that it reconciles all the time. Got it. And, and that's, that's coming upon us in management to, to kind of understand that. And, and make sure that we, we can get those closer. I mean, does it happen to a level that where it's problematic? Of course not, but there's, just, there's information that's being reported from separate groups. And I'm not sure that um, if I was the audit community chair that I, I fully understand how those connect right now. I, okay. mean, I think they get close, but I think there's still a little bit of a, a, little bit of a gap there. Okay, what, what's the, the approach there, if you could a little bit, is it in aligning risk management and audit and, and other functions? Is it largely, um, hey, this tool is going to help us do that? Is it, hey, analytics is going to help us do that? Or is it largely a, a massive uh, communication effort? Yeah, well, we do not have a GRC solution. So much of the communication that we would otherwise need to do is, is happening through, you know, face-to-face -face email, posting SharePoint, things like that. So that clearly makes this for a, for a multinational company, that makes it very, very challenging to do that. And, and, and I view this as having a lot of conversations as we prepare our plan, a lot of conversations as we meet ahead of individual audits mm -hmm. to understand, you know, where is their view of risk? Where are they aware of certain incidents? Where do they see uh, certain risks emerging? So we know enough to know what that is ahead of time. We know enough to know what they would expect for controls to get to a degree of risk so that when we find things, we know enough to know if it's within an acceptable limit or not. Um, but that requires a lot of conversation up front um, that uh, to get to that place. Is there is that's interesting. naturally? Is, is there a process um, for okay, who's going to own this relative to a risk function in terms of hey, we're both going to look at this area because um, it almost uh, I've heard anyway of of folks that have said there's almost like this battle between no, we're going to look at that, no, no, we're going to look at that because we do it this way. Is that, how do you navigate that? Is that just almost like the political savviness or? Well, it's very territorial. Territorial, As you can expect, everybody wants their function to be relevant. Right. Um, but I think you need to apply an enterprise view. I mean, so what we've done is we've kind of built a, a multifaceted kind of strategic project to incorporate audit, risk, compliance. 
And it's about each of us fulfilling our roles across the three lines of defense. Hmm. And if there's a risk that we don't fully understand, maybe it isn't at the right time for audit to go in and do an audit. Maybe it's better served to have a control, uh, risk control self-assessment done by risk or compliance. So it starts off with having a transparent conversation about the risks and then having a disposition on what you're going to do about them. And then you can kind of see where they best fit in terms of priority based on the roles. I mean, if it's a significant risk um, and, you know, there's some unknown around what sort of uh, controls we have, this is probably something I'm going to put into a category where I'm going to want to do an audit. Yeah. Right. I mean, and then you, then you work your way down on the level of significance um, and the nature of work that's best fit for now. Um, but where it helps me is I can't be everywhere all the time. So to the extent that I don't have the time to do a lot of pre-planning to understand something, you know, maybe I'm better served having an RSA performed by the risk function or having the compliance do some work. And I leverage that. And then I, I look to, to follow up, you know, with any actions they recommend a year or two from now. So it really, if done correctly, it should present uh, an ability to divide and conquer. Uh, but yes, you need to overcome the territorial uh, challenges that naturally happen. But it isn't like they do everything that audit doesn't want to do. So you look at the things that don't matter. I mean, the, there, are, there are things that matter that they need to do. And audit needs to understand that they can't control everything either. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and if you, if you go in with that mindset, I really believe there's a way to divide and conquer and manage it. Okay. Nice. But there is politics, of course. Yeah, of course. With the right mindset, I think it can be managed. Though. Okay. Um, similar to what should the audit committee be asking audit leadership uh, for the CAEs that are listening? What questions should audit leadership be asking their staff? Staff. Yeah. I mean, that's also a really good question. So the question that I always am interested in is, they're usually pretty forthcoming on explaining what they know. They speak up in meetings. Um, they're willing to share. Um, what I'm interested in is what, what don't they know and what risk does that present? And, and, and a lot of ways that manifests itself into like technology. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, I, I came to the realization that you can't just have IT auditors and business auditors I and mean, you can't bifurcate you know, the system and the process any longer. So you need to understand the auditor of the future has to embrace technology. Yeah. So what I'd be asking my staff is how adept do you feel at using the te technology tools? Um, is there more that you think you should do, can do, and are we supporting you in that endeavor as much as we can? Um, because I do think that naturally there's, there's technophobes out there, some people who would rather just do it the way we've always done it. Um, and that isn't good enough, <laughs> right? You, we all need to kind of get on board and be prepared for the auditor of the future, which is going to be somebody that needs to be a lot more adept at doing data analytics, using various tools and doing the critical thinking behind it. Yeah. Um, and that that is something that um, I don't want to leave anybody on my team behind. So uh, those are the sorts of questions that I would be asking uh, amongst just the business itself. You know, I, I think people are hesitant to own what they don't understand. And oftentimes those are the most difficult questions to ask. So I would look to try to promote that conversation and lead with asking them directly. Perfect. And lastly, what's what's the biggest problem you see internal audit facing right now? And how could it be fixed? What's a solution that you could propose? Yeah, I mean, and that that kind of ties into the last two questions. Yeah. You know, I, I think 
internal audit is very beholden to the three lines of defense. And I do this and you do this. And I view the lines of being blurred, right? We need to, we have a role to fulfill. We have a mandate. There's no question about it. But we need to realize that there's other functions in the company that are doing relevant work. And how do we lean in and leverage that for our purposes without question? The other pieces were very, I think, set in our ways to do things the way we've always done them. It's very difficult to have a fully functioning audit you know, plan and executing against it. And oh, by the way, I need to change my processes you know, in the midst of having to get my work done. I mean, yeah. that's work on top of work. And a lot of times, you know, you you have SOX testing to do, compliance audits you need to do, cycle audits you need to do, emerging projects you want to be involved in. And all, by the way, we're going to change how we do audits too. I mean, and that's difficult. And, and but what I will say is, is I think it's imperative for us to embrace the change in the audit process and using technology. Because what I see is you're going to have a, a, a group of auditors coming up through the system that are going to expect a degree of automation and sophistication in terms of data analysis. And then if you are doing audit the old way, you're going to either not be able to recruit the people you would otherwise want to recruit, or you're going to not be able to retain the people you're going to want to retain. Yeah. Um, so the functions that are struggling with kind of adapting and growing to, to kind of better ways to be auditing um, really needs to be responsive because the market's changing around us uh, and the nature of how work is going to be done in the future is going to change. Uh, and if audit is happening in the way it's always done, I think it's going to make it really difficult you know, to recruit and retain the people you want. And so Paul, we've, we've talked a lot about questions that you should ask your staff and like staffing um, and how to best support them. What are your thoughts on, and I see a lot of folks, uh, especially on LinkedIn, talk about like CAE roles specifically, and they'll look at the requirements and it's like, oh, you got to be a CPA or you have to have you know been a partner at a big four firm or something like that. Um, what do you think about folks that don't have that background and bringing them into audit as, as, as a way to almost diversify the profession. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, good question, Trent. And what I would say, you know, I entered the audit world in a very non-traditional way. So I was a liberal arts major and then went into public accounting back when they were trying to hire people that weren't accounting majors. Mm -hmm. So I was five years behind my class as a first year in public accounting but had an MBA and had a bunch of different experiences and continued to stay in this profession all these years. Uh, and just through my own um, team building, I brought people in who've had ex investment expertise, but weren't auditors, had agency experience, but weren't internal auditors. And, and I do think that uh, having the diversity of thought is great. And you need to be able to commit to presenting and developing how you internal audit. It's no question the experience you have in public accounting is relevant, but I also think having different experiences, expertise, and have that brought to bear as you think about risks before you do an audit uh, has a lot of value. And I've had success in that throughout my career, and I would definitely implore others to give some consideration to that. There's not one size fits all to, to be an effective internal auditor. Um, but if you go that route, you have to have a structure in place to, to train and develop these people um, in order to you know, fulfill the requirements of being an effective internal auditor. Um, but I would certainly promote it to some extent. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.